Please stand for this morning's scripture lesson. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is their own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. These are the word, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Byron. Would you pray with me? Holy One, take our minds and think through them. Take our lips and speak through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire. Amen. So Brian has uh, just read our gospel lesson this morning. I'm going to be reading the epistle uh, letter from Paul uh, to the people of Corinth. Now, as you know, Paul wrote as it went around the Mediterranean establishing all these communities and then would write a letter to a particular one, to Corinth, to Thessalonica, to Rome, and so forth. And then these letters would be passed around to the other communities. Uh, as well. And so this morning, uh, he's, we are reading a passage uh, from his letter to, second letter to the Corinthians. I'll be reading from Eugene Peterson's uh, interpretation of the message, chapter 8, verses 1 to 12. It reads a bit like a story. Paul writes, Now, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in the Macedonia province. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts I was there and I saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. This was totally spontaneously, entirely their own idea and caught us completely off guard. What explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and second, the giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. That's what prompted us to ask Titus to bring the relief offering to your attention. So what was well begun could be finished up. You do so well in so many things. You trust God, you're articulate, you're insightful, you're passionate, you love us. Now do your best in this too. 
I'm not trying to order you around against your will, but by bringing the Macedonians' enthusiasm as a stimulus to your love, I'm hoping to bring out the best in you. You are familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. So here's what I think. The best thing you can do now is to finish up what you started last year and not let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart's been in the right place all along. You've got what it takes to finish it up, so go for it. Once the commitment is clear, you do what you can, not what you can't. The heart regulates the hands. This isn't so others take it easy while you sweat it out. No, you're shoulder to shoulder. With them all the way, your surplus matching their deficit. Their surplus manage, uh, uh, matching your deficit. And in the end, you come out even. As it was written, nothing left over for the one with the most, nothing lacking to the one with the least. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, the word of God living among us. So, in this second letter to the people of Corinth, Paul's been going around raising the collection among all the communities around, and he comes home and writes another letter that's going to be copied and passed around, as I said, to talk about his experience in Macedonia. Anybody been to Macedonia? So the way, Yugoslavia? One of the early, early Christian communities. This passage is about offering for sure, but it's also about why we offer and our profound connectedness to one another as Christians, how we live and experience God's presence. We live out our connectedness with God and with each other here in this place. For many of us, this place is the one place where I can be accepted, where I can be reminded that I am enough. It's the one place where I can bring all of me, every bit of me, healthy, sick, rich, poor, troubled, at peace, old, young, gay, straight, light-skinned, dark-skinned, Red Sox fan, Yankees fans can even come here, right? Sometimes that's hard to say. I can bring all of me. I can bring all of me. For some of us in our communities, it's the only place we feel free. We live in the land of the free, the home of the brave, but the church is the one place where I know I'm free. It's the one place I can learn about love and forgiveness. And it stays open for everyone who's run out of space. That's what we do here. It's not a perfect place, present company accepted, of course. But it's a place where we can be reminded all the time that we are children of God and where we can experience our connectedness. This is the place. 
Now our stewardship is about care of our resources and as my colleague David Abbott, who some of you know, always says, our stewardship's an outward expression of our inner relationship with Jesus Christ. That's true, that's true. And, and I've also come to understand stewardship as enabling us to participate with God's grace as co-creators in our lives. Stewardship's an invitation to us to participate in God's grace. That may sound big. It is big, it's big. An old friend once said, you know, with our neighbors, right, we, sh we don't just share bread and water, but we share the adventure of life itself, given by God, lived in God's glory. Now, here's what I mean. God is present with us all the time, and all of us, and all of us, each one of us, are needed. I love this story, uh, one of my favorite stories, about Antonio Stradivari. Uh, many of you know who Stradivari was. He was a very skilled instrument maker, the remote, uh, the most probably renowned violin maker in history. Uh, we think he made about 1,100 instruments, violins, cellos, even guitars. Uh, maybe only 600 survive today, we're not sure. The Messiah Stradivarius that he made, the violin, is in a museum in Oxford, England, and is supposed to be valued at around 200 million, something like that, 200 million dollars. There's a story about Stradivari that tells what's at stake here. One of my friends, Jim Harnish, tells it this way. So George Eliot, uh, who some of you know, is a 19th century British novelist who used a male pen name, right, so that she could sell her work, right, get her books published and sell her work. And she wrote a poem about Stradivari that I love. Describes him as a simple white aproned man who stood at his work, patient and accurate, each each uh, step of making the, you know, bending the wood, you know, making the, the violin, trimming it. And a young, undisciplined painter named Naldo comes in and he mocks Antonio's work and he says, you know, you could have wealth and fame unbelievable if you would just do this quicker and turn out more of your instruments. And so here's what Antonio said. When any master holds twixt chin and hand a violin of mine, he will be glad that Stradivari lived, made violins and made them the best, while, while God gives them the skill to play, I give them the instruments to play upon. God choosing me to help God. There it is, God choosing us to help God. The painter's shocked by this, as you may be when you first hear about it. What, God needing us for anything? Stradbury says, not God, God's self can make 
man's best without best men and women to help God. Tis God that gives the skill, but not without our hands. God couldn't make Antonio Stradivari's violins without Antonio. Now, it might be shocking to think about this, but it's good for us to hear the idea that not God, God's self, can do God's best work in this world without best women and men to help. Around here, it's true. God alone can't feed people over at the friend's soup kitchen. We alone can't feed people over at the friend's soup kitchen, can't sustain feeding these people, right, without God. God alone can't serve the families at Family Promise. We alone can't sustain serving these families and know what to do without God. God needs our hands. We need God's grace and strength to work in us. It may not surprise you that I think this is about stewardship too. It's an invitation to participate in God's grace. God choosing us, us giving God something to work with. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God from whom all we have comes. What will we give God to work with? Are you with me? Great, Ted. How does all this work? <laughs> this morning I'd like to suggest an understanding of how this works for us. There are three things I would like to just focus briefly on. First is generosity, then gratitude, and joy. What does it mean to be generous? At its heart, this passage is about the root of generous living. Sometimes this can seem hard to learn. I'd love to say that generosity was something that just occurred naturally, right? We are just born as generous little babies. Now, maybe some of us are, but I'm not so sure, right? None of the babies in my family, none of the babies in my friends' families, when they're hungry, have ever paused and seemed to think, you know, mom and dad look a little busy right now. Grandma and grandpa look a little busy right now. I think I'll wait to cry a little bit until a more convenient time, right? right? The blessing of generosity, and it is a blessing, is something that we have to discover again and again and again. We have to learn it and discover it again and again. Now, this may seem uncomfortable for you whenever we talk about money, and I think I said it when I was here last time, I always say, we're not alone here. We're not alone. Because this was true in Jesus' time. Jesus knew all about this. I usually ask, you know, how much of the Bible, the New Testament, do you think has Jesus' lessons about property, money, possessions? I don't know if you remember. It's a lot, you know. Most people think, well, about a 30%, 40%. 
You know, Jesus is all about love, right? When I heard that it was about 70, 75, 80% of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament were about money, property, and possessions, I didn't believe it. So I went back, I looked in the New Testament, I read it, guess what? It's true, it's true. Why? Why did Jesus talk so much about this? Because Jesus knew that money, property, and possessions could get in the way of giving and receiving, could get in the way of loving God and loving neighbor. That's why. Could get in the way of our generosity. So we're receiving and giving, we're sharing in God's grace, we're to be good stewards all God's household. Years ago, I, I lived in a country that had a deep, deep tradition of gift giving. There were certain gifts that were just pervasive everywhere. And there was an obligation of sorts that we all began to feel for these gifts. There, there was a balance in life that needed to be kept. You give, you receive. If I gave something to a neighbor, something would always wind up very soon on my doorstep. If I received something, there was this obligation that weighed heavy on me, heavy, hung over me. I could feel it until I gave something back. You receive, you give, it was tit for tat. We feel this a little bit sometimes in our culture. But I'll tell you, after a couple years, it was hard to shake. I'm not saying that folks in this place couldn't be generous. They were tremendously generous. They could be, of course, but the practice of gift giving shifted my consciousness away from generosity to obligation. Now, this stayed with me. There was a friend in another place that helped me get over it. I had a friend, he lives far away from, from me now, and he used to really get on my nerves regularly. One time he was wearing, wearing a very unique t-shirt. I said, hey, I really like that t-shirt. That is a cool t-shirt. Handed me his t-shirt. I'm like, no, no, that's not what I meant, right? No. Another time, we were riding in his car, and we were out in the, in the country while, and, and I said, this is, I've never heard this music before. It was a Brazilian pop person. So this is really interesting. He immediately popped the, I'm going to show my age here, cassette. Anybody remember a cassette? All right. Popped the cassette out of the car and gave it to me. I said, no, 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 I, I don't want that. Right. So this was annoying. And he loved doing it, and I never forgot that. So I decided to give it a try. Just be generous that way. I've given away shirts. I've given away watches. I wear very cheap watches, I've learned. <laughs> I've given away pens, neckties, uh, books. I've even given away a t-shirt, right? Sometimes things come back to me. You know, it'll just appear on my doorstep with a little note that says, um, thanks, Pastor Ted, I really don't want this. Or, you know, this looks better on you than me. I know exactly what that means. And then my favorite, oh, thanks, I really like this, but I'll get one that 
doesn't smell so bad, you know, so, right. Now, I'm not talking about giving an heirloom away or something that doesn't belong, that's not mine to give. I'm not talking about giving away a bad penny or a last year's fruitcake or something like that, right, that just keeps turning up, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about generosity. I'm talking about being, having an attitude that's light with things and money and celebrates giving it and letting it go, right? No matter how much, celebrates it. And an attitude that's heavy with people and with relationships, with neighbors, right? It's a joyful, joyful giving. It's a generosity. It's reflective of who we are as people. When we're light with our money, it'll never come between us. When we're light with our money, it'll never come between us and God. And perhaps when we're generous, we can find ourselves being used in God's grace to make a difference through our church and in other ways, to participate in God's work in the world. Two other very quick points. Where does generosity come from? Where does generosity come from? I've got to learn, I've got to rediscover it and over again. It comes from, as Byron said, gratitude. Gratitude. Our attitude of gratitude for all God's done with us leads us into a, a position, an attitude of generosity. By expressing our gratitude to God and being generous, our hearts actually begin to change, as mine did, right? From obligation to generosity. It starts with God's love and reaching out to us and our response of gratitude leads us to be generous. Now, if you're having trouble with generosity right now, and all of us do at one point or another, if you're having trouble with your own generosity, you may want to start thinking about exploring gratitude and just where you are with gratitude. There's some easy things to do. You can come up and talk with me later. I'll be glad to tell you. One of them is to keep a little gratitude journal every night. Anybody keep a gratitude journal? little book, little pad of paper right by your bed, every night before you go to bed, three things that you are grateful for that day. And be specific. It doesn't have to be huge. You know, the, the sun came out today. That, that might be it. But it might be someone said something nice to me. Or I had a chance to do something. I'm grateful for that. Do that every night for a couple months. You will begin to get in touch with gratitude very, very quickly. The last point I want to make this morning, and I've saved the best for last, is, is when we approach giving with a state of generosity, we can experience great joy. Great joy. Say great joy. Great joy. We don't often say joy. When was the last time you said the word joy? We can experience great joy. In verse 4 of this passage that I read, Paul describes the Macedonians as incredibly happy. 
though desperately poor, right? They were pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. Incredibly happy, though, desperately poor, and pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. When we're giving out a gratitude to God, giving it to one another, an expression, it's an expression of our unity together. Nothing comes between us, and it's a maturity that we are ready to be used by God and God's grace. Our giving to one another becomes a joy. We know this. Whether we're at the soup kitchen or Family Promise or another place you serve, I want you to just think about this. Someone will come up to you and say, wow, that's just great you do that. I bet it makes those people feel so happy, right? Or I, I feel so good or it really helps them in their need. We know and we often say, raise your hand if you know this. I get so much more from serving them than they get from me. Do you know that feeling? Right? We say that all the time. I'm the one getting, they're just getting, I feel like, a little. How do you explain that phenomenon? How do you explain that? It's the same here. Joy of giving is not often a blessing that we experience or understand, but we need to claim this joy. We need to claim it. There is joy in giving. Do you all still clap for the offering? Ah, you do! Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah. Have you noticed anything? Does it feel more natural now and, and joyful? We actually can experience great joy when we practice, when we acknowledge that we have the ability to give. Oh, I'm so happy. I hope this understanding of generosity makes sense to you. Uh, I know it may seem a little uncomfortable for some of you, us working with God in this way. But it's so important that we keep our money from coming between us and our God and our generosity helps us stay in touch with this joy of giving. God choosing us, us giving God something to work with. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God from whom all things we have come. What will we give God to work with? With our neighbors, we discover generous living. And when we practice and we risk our generosity in time, talent, and treasure, when we give God something to work with, we discover not only who our neighbor is and about generosity, but we discover whose we are, who we are and whose we are belong to God, working together. Amen.